you want to take your Bibles and turn this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We're going to take a break from Hebrews for a week or two and talk about evangelism. In a way, talking about evangelism is a lot like doing evangelism. There's no perfect uh, chapter to look at or verse. There's no one text that lays it out. There's no perfect place to start. Uh, there's no one method that has to, f- to be followed. I've, I've selected a, a short parable in Mark chapter 4 where Jesus lays out uh, what, what I think is a good description of the beginning of evangelism. And we'll go into more detail in the next week or two. But it, it's important that we have this foundation, I think, as we have this conversation together. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would grant us the blessings of understanding. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Uh, Do the work within us that only your spirit can do to convince us and persuade us and to give us the the courage to act in faith and and act in obedience to you. We thank you for this in advance in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Mark chapter for uh, Jesus gives a, a number of parables about the kingdom of God. We're going to look, begin in verse 26. Uh, it's called the parable of the seed. I've titled the, 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 these messages today and next week, uh, the sower went forth to sow, because that's the, the idea here. Verse 26 says, And Jesus was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. <coughs> and he goes to bed at night. And gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows, how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now this is a parable, it's a, it's a word picture, it is a metaphor that is used by the Lord to illustrate some fairly simple, straightforward spiritual truths. There are four elements to this parable. We have the sower, we have the seed, we have the soil, and I couldn't find an S word, sorry, we have the harvest. I I went through everything that I could to try and find an S word for harvest and just could not find one. So uh, sower, seed, soil, and harvest. We're going to talk about the sower and the seed This morning, next week, we'll talk about the soil and the harvest. The sower is the Christian who proclaims the gospel. The sower is simply a Christian. We live in a time when uh, when evangelism can be very intimidating. The word evangelism can be intimidating. The word proclaim can be intimidating. So if you want to use witness... Uh, when I became a Christian in the 1970s, it was about witnessing. That was the, that was the word. If you want to use uh, share the gospel, that's fine. If you want to use ambassador for Christ, that's fine. The, the word that we use doesn't really matter. What matters is that somebody goes forth to sow. The, the foremost evangelist in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul took the gospel into Asia Minor and into Europe. He reached the Gentiles. The the expansion of the church geographically was due almost single-handedly to him. And in Romans 10, he gives us this basic progression of how evangelism works. 
And he does it by giving it to us in reverse order. He says, For there is no distinction between Jews and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. You must call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You won't call if you don't believe. You won't believe if you don't hear. You won't hear if someone doesn't tell you. And that someone isn't going to tell you if they're not sent to tell you. So who is sent to proclaim the gospel? If you're a Christian, you are. There is a unique gift of evangelist within the church. We see that in Paul. We see that in some others. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4. God gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. There are distinct roles, almost vocational roles, of full-time work, of intense focus of purpose. But just as all of us are to, to know the Word of God and to care about what Scripture says, all of us are to be prepared to share the gospel. So are you sent to proclaim the gospel? If you're a Christian, then yes, you are. It was interesting this morning, Danny asking veterans to, to stand. I, I counted three. I couldn't see quite all, all the way back on this side, but I, I counted three. I, I discovered yesterday, our daughter Grace is going into the, the Air Force in, in January, and so we've been tracking a lot. And and uh, in thinking about this, I, I, I started wondering if there was any such thing in the military as a standing order. And I discovered that there are 11 standing orders. And I just, I just wonder if any of the veterans here could tell, me, could tell us what the first standing order is. You still remember? But you remember that there, is a, there, there are 11 standing orders. You got that. The first standing order is take charge of this post uh, I will take charge of this post and all government property in view. The, the first standing order is, as a member of the military, you're responsible for what's in front of you. And there are 11 of those. Well, there are standing orders for Christians. And one of those standing orders is be a witness for Christ. Tell somebody else who Jesus is. So you are sent. That, that establishes who the sower is. The sower is every one of us who named the name of Christ. We're going to talk about that, that process more. I don't want you to get tripped up over that. I just want you to stay with me. But let's talk about the seed. Uh, the seed that we plant is the gospel. Uh, Jesus says here, uh, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. The man here is the Christian. The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that's it. That's all. There's nothing else. That is the message that we proclaim to the world. There is no other message God has for the unbelieving world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other message, which means it's very simple for us. It's very straightforward to us. How do we deal with all of the racial tensions that are, that are in our, our country today? The gospel. How do we deal with... with all of the, the accusations of, of sexual abuse, many of which are true and some of which are false, the gospel. How do we deal with corruption in government? The gospel. How do we deal with the issue of abortion? The gospel. 
See, we're appealing to unbelievers to come to Jesus Christ and, and be saved. The, the gospel is the required doorway into the, into the kingdom of God. It's not the goal. It's not the end. It's the beginning. And everything flows from that. But until an unbeliever has heard the gospel, believed it, embraced it, and put their faith in Jesus Christ, there's no point giving them anything else because nothing else applies to them. Nothing else matters to them. So we have to clearly understand the gospel, but it's, it's a small package that we understand, really. We're, we're not to become experts in all of theology and all of scripture. I encourage you to do that. But really, we need to comprehend clearly what the gospel is. The, the gospel is a three-part message. Who is Jesus Christ? What did he do? And how do we benefit? And what, by the way, what Jesus did involves why he did it as well. So, who is Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the living word. He's God himself in human flesh. We want to always look at scripture because we're not trying to to talk somebody else into believing what we believe. We're trying to share with them what God has said. So, one of the best places I know of in the Bible that, that wraps up who Jesus is in a very small amount of space is in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. The whole... The whole New Testament tells us who Jesus is. There's so much more that could be said. But here's your foundation. And if you're talking to somebody and they say, well, I've heard this about Jesus or that about Jesus, but I really don't know who he is, this is an excellent place to start. It's not the place to end. It's not all there is to say, but it's an excellent place to start. And this passage really reminds us that the gospel is not about us. It's about the glory of God. It's about the work of Jesus and what he came to do and what he actually accomplished. The gospel isn't given to us so that we can be happy here, and it's not given to us so that we can go to heaven when we die. It's given to us for the glory of God so that we who are sinners may be reconciled to him for all eternity. To say that the gospel is about our happiness or our contentment is to sell it far short. It's not saying too much about the gospel. It's saying way too little. Because there is so much more coming for us than simple happiness or simple contentment. first part of the gospel is who is Jesus? The second part of the gospel is what did Jesus do? You, you remember that? campaign that had all the wristbands and the necklaces wwjd what would jesus do and it sounded very spiritual it sounded kind of uh, to me it kind of frankly it sounded a little hippie-ish but it, it sounded very spiritual and very organic but the problem was is it shifted the conversation it shifted the conversation away from who jesus is and what he did to simple morality. What would Jesus do in this situation? And so now we have people saying, if the gospel doesn't bring about um, racial reconciliation, it's not the gospel. Well, that's not what Jesus died to do. 
He died to do something far more serious and far more important than that. And so the, the question isn't what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? So this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, it's an excellent summary. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Remember I said what Jesus did contains the why. He died for our sins. That's why he died. That's what he did and why he did it. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So we are born on death row. We are born guilty by nature. And as soon as the opportunity presents itself, we prove that we are guilty by our actions. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. If you need to modernize it, Jesus died in the electric chair for you. They strapped him down and they threw the switch. For your sins, your crime, your murder, your offense to God. He bore that so that you could receive his righteousness... And people will say to us, I'm a good person. We take them back to Scripture, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People will say, well, I can handle it myself, or there are many ways to handle my sins. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The gospel is who Jesus is, and what Jesus did, which includes the why he did it. The third aspect of the gospel is how do we benefit? How do we benefit? Well, the Bible says this, God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. Salvation is of grace. That means it's a gift. That means that it's undeserved. It means you can't earn it. If you went to somebody today, somebody that you know fairly well, and said to them, uh, and I don't recommend this, but said to them, you you remember that that lottery that just happened on the East Coast where somebody won $1.2 billion? Well, that was me. And I appreciate who you are so much that I'm paying off your debt and I'm sending you and your family on a month-long cruise in the Mediterranean. Would that person become angry? Resentful? No. They'd be extraordinarily grateful. What if you go to a person and say, Jesus Christ died for you. You're incapable of saving yourself. 
your sins condemn you before God and you can't dig your way out of a hole. But Jesus died and he, and he gives you eternal life as a gift even though you don't deserve it. Most people will not break down and weep with joy. They'll be offended that you're saying to them that they're guilty and that they can't do it themselves. See, this is a spiritual issue of pride. It's not just pride in general. It's, it's, it's the pride of sin. We have to receive salvation as a gift. We could never earn it. I don't know if you saw the, the paper yesterday. The Omaha World Herald had a, an article about a man who was just sentenced to life in prison uh, for two gang killings. After his sentencing, as he was being led out, he turned to the families of the victims and smiled and said, I'm still alive. Is there anything he could do to undo his crime? No. There's nothing we can do to undo our sin. We have to receive salvation as a gift. And salvation is, is of faith. We can do nothing but believe. We, we can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't participate in it. All we can do is believe. And we can't even believe on our own uh, that we are saved by grace through faith. And that's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Why? Because we can't drum up enough faith, we can't drum up saving faith to to accept the whole truth of what the gospel says, that we are really sinners who who, who deserve eternal condemnation, but Jesus gave his life for us. He gave his life for me, not just us, for for me. It's It's a personal thing. And by the way, when God gives faith, the the Bible doesn't say that he gives the ability to believe. It doesn't say for by grace you are saved and God gives you the ability to believe so that then you can make a choice. Will I believe or will I disbelieve? It says he gives you belief. C.S. Lewis described his conversion. And he was a man who searched philosophy and religion and he searched he knew there was something going on and there was something else and there's something wrong with his life and he devoted a long time years of his life to to exploration and and when it came down to jesus christ he said one moment i didn't believe and the next moment i believed and that's because god didn't just give him the capacity to believe he actually gave him the belief itself He gave him the belief itself. This is why many Christians will say that true Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with God. Anybody can get a handle on a religion. A religion is a system developed by people. There are rules. There are strictures. There's this, this structure. And anybody, absolutely anybody can get a handle on that. But a relationship is something very, very different. It's personal. It's conscious. It's it's an intimate connection with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And it's only possible because of the miraculous work that God does in our lives. And he does that by grace through faith. So this is the gospel. Who Jesus is, what he did, and how we can benefit. Uh, This is what we are sent to tell others. And if we tell them anything else, if we tell them anything less, we are not telling them the gospel so important for us to remember how much of this should you have memorized as much as you can on one hand 
and you can do it. Every one of you can memorize scriptures. I'm sure that many of you can tell me the Husker score from yesterday. You can certainly memorize the Bible. You know your address. You know your phone number. You know how to get to work. It's interesting when we talk to our, our daughter. She's married to a farmer out in Royal, and he works for his dad. And and uh, I don't know. I I don't know how many quarters they have, but you know so they they farm somewhere between five and six thousand between what they own and what they lease so there's a number of quarters that they go to and and they never give the address of the quarter it's always you know the the blake section or the burn section it's all it's always related to some person that they knew who had it or who was there and i i guess that's the way that you, that you do that you you want to get to my place well you go out to the place you remember where tom's cow just dopped dead in the middle of the road when you get there turn right Go past Bernadine's, and then we're just there on the left-hand side. That's the way people give directions here. You can memorize scripture if you can memorize that. And if you want a, a sample, here, here's some that you, can, that you can write down if you want to. Another thing that you can do, by the way, I do this at conferences. I take my phone out and just take a picture of it so I have the picture. But I want you to think about the parable of the sower. Do you think that the sower in the parable filled his hands? He went out to his barn and he filled his hands with, with grain as much as he could hold and then he walked out to his field and he cast the, the seed and then he walked back to the barn and he filled up his hands and he walked back out to the field. No, he had a seed bag, right? Like some of your great-grandfathers would have had perhaps. He had a, he had a seed bag so he could carry more than a handful well, when, when you go, you have the, the, the capability of taking a seed bag with you. You have the capability of taking the scriptures with you. And if you can't memorize the, the, the words of these verses, maybe you can memorize the references. If you can't memorize the references, you can write them down in the front of your Bible. So if, if somebody says, why would God save me? You can take them to John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That, it, that if somebody says, God would never accept me, you can take them to Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. You can talk to somebody who says, you know, I gave my life to Christ, but I've never lived well as a Christian, and I know that God has turned me away, and you can take them to Romans 8.1. Therefore, Having been just, actually, it's very close to verse 1. See, i got to turn to the seed bag, which is okay because I'm not trying to talk you into what I think. I'm trying to show you what Scripture says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Take them to the seed bag. Memorize what you can, but use your Bible. So, so let, let's bring this home. I already had that slide. I got them out of, out of order. But there's, even though we're only partway through talking about this passage, there are a couple things that we can draw out. The first thing that we can draw out is about almond trees. 80% of the world's almonds are grown in California, in the Central Valley. And there's only one way to pollinate almonds, and that's honeybees. And so... Uh, apiculturists, I don't know if that's the way to pronounce it, but apiculturists, apiculturists, bee farmers, all around the country rent uh, colonies of honeybees 
to farmers, almond growers in California. And every year, about two and a half million colonies of bees are placed around almond groves in, in half a dozen counties in California to pollinate these trees. And it's because there is only one way to pollinate almonds, and that's with honeybees. There is only one way to deliver the gospel, and that is through a Christian. There are, there are mass crusades, Billy Graham, Greg Laurie, Raul Reese, others. But that's the exception. There's radio, there, there, are, there are booklets and movies, but that's the exception. The vast majority of people who are converted are converted because of a personal connection with someone else. Evangelism takes time. That's something else that I want you to remember. And in this area, you guys should understand about farming taking time. I'm from Southern California. Farming doesn't take time. Southern California, you go to the grocery store, you buy food, you take it home. It's just there. We don't have meat that grows on cows. We have meat that grows in bags, and you just get it and take it home. But, but here, apparently, you do things differently, and it takes time. You have to plant. You have to cultivate. You have to wait. And you just, you just wait. You just wait. Is it time for harvest? It must be time for harvest Harvest because it's October 1st. No, it, the grain's got to be the right dryness. Maybe it's early September. Maybe it's not till December when all of that happens. You just have to wait, right? You know this. Evangelism happens in exactly the, the same way. Now, some people are, are uniquely called to evangelism ministry. And they'll even go overseas. Dorothy's uh, brother and sister-in-law and, and family have spent many, many years in, in Laos taking the gospel to, to other cultures. Other people are called to, to, to do street ministry and street preaching, and they go to college campuses. And, and virtually every person they talk to is somebody they've never seen before, somebody they've never met before. But the overwhelming amount of evangelism that happens in the church happens patiently over a long period of time with people that you know. If we get the idea that evangelism has to be a, a sudden, quick, fast, confrontational uh, approach that brings about salvation, you're going to feel like you're a failure every single time. Because the Lord simply doesn't work through us in that way. He works through us like this. It's a slow, patient planting. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about uh, himself and Apollos. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I've preached the gospel to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and I, I've led, or I've been involved in leading a handful to the Lord. That doesn't mean that none of those that I preached to got saved, but what I'm saying in a, in, a, in a sermon is just part of what they hear over the course of a year or two or three or ten before the Lord will bring them home. We, like most of the people in the history of the church, don't meet new people on a, on a regular basis. And we're called to reach to our children. We're called to reach to our unsafe family members. We're called to reach out into our community and the, the people that we know. So who, who is to evangelize? Every one of us, every Christian. 
What is the message that we take? It's the gospel. It's who Jesus is. It's what he did and how a sinner can benefit from that. We'll continue this conversation next week. Father, help us to, uh, to not shy away. Help us to not be afraid of this topic. I, I don't know of a, of a single subject that raises as much uh, anxiety and fear among us as talking about evangelism. <coughs> that only makes sense. There's a spiritual battle going on. The enemy absolutely does not want us to share the gospel with anyone. He wants to convince us that sharing the gospel means that we've, we've got to be a super preacher or that we have to be bold and confrontational. And uh, none of that has been true throughout the history of the church. The, the super preachers and the, the confronters are the exception, not the rule. But Lord, we do need to be prepared. And so we ask, Lord, that you would remind us of the, the need to come to the, come to the Scriptures and to give thought to it and to make notes and to be prepared. We, need, we do need to pray. This is a spiritual exercise. We're not trying to convince somebody to join our club. We are hoping to share the words of eternal life with someone who is dead in their sins. And if you don't work in every step of that process it's all completely in vain but Lord give us the courage and give us the hope that you can raise the spiritual dead as you have raised us to life and that just as you used others in our lives to encourage us to move us along to share truth with us, that you can use us in that same way to be part of the process for other people. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the love that you have for us and most of all for the Savior who died and was buried and who was raised from the dead in order to bring us to peace with you for your glory. And in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.